I went from Baseball America to work for the Padres as an area scout. And then all of a sudden you realize like, hey, people view me as really young for the industry at the time, didn't play at any high level. And also, hey, you're coming from the media. That was probably the thing that was like, wow, people look at me like I still work at Baseball America when I'm like, I I work for the Padres now. On one hand, you know, that that gives you a little bit of chip on the shoulder, like, hey, I I want respect, but you also realize I need to earn it, right? Because right or wrong, they view me as Baseball America. In that case, you go, okay, I need to earn my stripes by working really hard, trying to learn from the people around me, asking a lot of questions. Hello and welcome. I'm Eric Corum, and you're listening to the Blueprint Podcast, where we explore the journey of high performance by learning from the struggles and triumphs of some of the most interesting people in the world. Josh Boyd is the assistant general manager of the Texas Rangers. Entering his 14th season with the club, he oversees pro player personnel in the R&D department. In this episode, he shares stories about the lessons he's learned along his unconventional path to a Major League Baseball front office position. We also discuss how creating time to think is one of the ways Josh has learned to thrive in the high-pressure world of professional baseball. If you find today's podcast to be valuable, Go to www.ericcorum.com and sign up for my high-performance newsletter. In this newsletter, I provide you valuable resources and information to help you pursue audacious goals, thrive in uncertainty, and live a healthy and fulfilled life. But now, it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Josh, it's great to have you on today. I'm excited to, to dive into this story, so... You know, your route to being in baseballs, you may call it unorthodox. You know, you started as a writer and then you became a scout. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you uh, having me on here today, Eric. This is, this is great and be fun. Yeah, that, that path, especially at the time, I certainly didn't go into it expecting to go down this path. I, I, I went there to work at Baseball America because I, I love writing and I, I and specifically really had kind of baseball America as a singular focus, like the way the style of, of what they covered. And at the time with, you know, where the internet was, you didn't have every person out there with their own top 100 lists of prospects. And so it really was there. I think the tagline there is, you know, baseball information you, you can't get anywhere else. And mm-hmm. at the time that, that was, you know, the, the magazine came out every two weeks and, it was like, this is where I'm going to find out about all these prospects and learn about the draft. And, you know, you didn't have the minute by minute updates that you can, you can get now on, on even high school kids. So my intent, my goal, my passion was I want to go and work there. And so I, you know, I worked there for three years and, and it was, it was everything I dreamed of in that regard. So I, so, you know, I'm, I'm working there. I'm at, this is a dream job. I'm also kind of learning on the job as I, craft my writing style and editing and, and then even reporting, you know, just the, um, so, so the, the, the experience there opened me up to the world of scouting that I never would have been exposed to, you know, it allowed me to develop all these connections with uh, everyone in the game. You know, you, you, the, the baseball America directory is this annual book that has it's a it's the rolodex of everybody in the game so mm. you know you realize like man i work i work at baseball america i can just pick up this book dial these numbers and you're talking to you know a gm a scouting director or honestly whoever would answer the phone and at, at times i didn't really know them before and they they end up becoming good contacts and in, in a network that i'm developing but even more so you know great friends and then eventually some of them uh one of them in particular become my boss. So that, like I said, I, I, I did not go there with the intent of this being a stepping stone. And, uh, you know, as, as I look back, I feel like it was, it was really an ideal training ground for what I, what I've done since. Hmm. So where did you learn like the, the technical skill of scouting? Yeah, the, so, so I think the, the technical skill, like breaking down a player and skills and tools, I'm like still to this day, just learning every day, learning from, from people and, you know, trying to learn from, from past mistakes. But the, in the beginning there with, with Baseball America, 
had an opportunity to go to Major League Baseball scout development program in 2001, which basically every, every Major League team can sponsor two people that they, whatever, they may work for the team already. They may, mm-hmm. you know, be trying to get them in. So, so for Baseball America, you know, kind of proposed this, uh, I'll, I'll go there and I'll write a story about it. And then also I felt if I could learn this perspective that, well, this is, this is how people are, are making these decisions. These, uh, all these players on the field, like how do we evaluate them? How do we grade them? What, why are they here? You know, and, and, and why did we miss on some of them? that it would give me at least a framework. And, and it did, it was the foundation for evaluating and just, just learning the scouting scale and, and understanding what, what matters and what doesn't about mechanics of a swing or of, of a pitcher, what tools matter, what, and what actually plays. That was a, that was a great foundation. Um, and then great mentors from that program. So it definitely helped open up this, this perspective that, as a reporter, you know, I could ask the questions, just have somebody tell me about it, but to at least try to speak the language, I, I felt that was, that would open up a, a new world for me to, to be able to expand my, my writing. And eventually it did open up a new world. I mean, you became a scout. Like, how did you earn the trust now that you're in major league baseball as working as a scout and here you were a writer, like, how did you earn the trust of your colleagues? Cause it's, I can imagine like, you know, my small experience, professional sport, it's kind of like you got to earn your stripes. A hundred percent. I, I, you know, so it's, I think in some ways I was naive. So I, I, I felt I was just this passionate person who got it. You know, I was, I was working at my dream job. Somebody offered me a job to go. So I, I went from baseball America to work for the Padres as an area scout and the naivete part. I'm like, oh, I love this. Like, uh, I'm, I'm going to just go out and do like, and then all of a sudden you realize like, Hey, people view me as, you know, really young for the industry at the time, didn't play at any high level. And also, Hey, you're coming from the media. You're the guy who writes things that, you know, depending on the, on the perspective of the scout and, or, and, or an organization, even though my intent was always to, to write, about the game and the industry in a, in like a positive way. Well, me putting out information and writing about information about prospects in the draft, for example, doesn't always benefit the scout, right? Because now we're sharing information on a bigger scale. So I think that that was probably the thing that was like, wow, people look at me like I still work at baseball America when I'm like, I work for the Padres now, but you know, on one hand, you know, that, that gives you a little bit of, kind of like chip on the shoulder, like, you know, you know hey, I, I want respect, but you also realize I, I need to earn it, right? Because right or wrong, they view me as, oh, hey, that's Baseball America. Like, like I'm going to run and tell Baseball America everything that, that I'm seeing. And, yeah. you know, the, from a competitive standpoint, it's the last thing I want to do. Right. So I think, I think really, you know, in that case, you go, okay, I need to, I need to earn my stripes by, by working really hard, trying to learn from the people around me, asking a lot of questions, you know, not uh, really not being scared to ask whatever might be dumb questions, but, you know, kind of like to even to circle back to your question on, on learning the, the skill of it. It's just repetition. You need to get out there and see players, experience things, know how to get to the park, how to do your schedule, how to talk to the coaches, make sure you're in the right spot and then make sure your cross checker, your scouting director are in the right ballpark and, you know, and you're, you're leading them the right way, putting them in position to see what we need to see. So I think that throughout time, it just, just like so many things, I think it comes down to relationships to build that trust, show people wherever, whether that is, you know, the, the coaches who I needed to have a relationship with or my competition with the 29 other teams is like, just comes down to like relationship and just, understand like yeah like you know I'm, I'm here one to be competition and hopefully be a threat in in my area as a scout but to again I think respect to asking questions showing respect to the people who, who have been there in the area the veteran guys the new guys it, it didn't matter but asking a lot of questions showing that I'm learning and paying attention and then just uh yeah, developing those relationships was was so important to all that. 
Hmm. I can imagine that from all the writing community, they probably thought you hit the jackpot. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, he, he made that transition. And it's really interesting now. When did you make that move to the Padres? Uh, that was 2004. Okay. I think you're even seeing now more than then that folks go from being a coach or a manager to working for the media and then going back into coaching. And so like you're starting to see these fluid transitions and that respect level for the job the media has to do and the respect from the the writers and stuff back to the or the press, back to the coaches. I think that there's, I think some people have actually realized that there's, there can be a mutually beneficial relationship there. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's become, I was, I was certainly not the first person to go from uh, working in, in the media to industry of in, inside, but it's actually become a number of the, my, my coworkers from baseball America at the time have since gone on to work in, in different things in the game, most, mostly in scouting. And then there's been a number who were at Baseball America or fan graphs or baseball prospectus or all these different outlets that are just, they're doing a really good job hiring young, hungry, you know, intelligent people who are, you know, you, you have this forum to put your work out there for, you know, it's, it's almost like an ongoing uh, resume, right? You're in, in an interview. So if you, if you're, if you're doing good work, we're paying attention now that, you know, the position I'm in now, if there's, there's people writing great blog posts and different articles on whatever it is. And you know, yeah, this, this person is consistently viewing things in a, in a way that's like, that's, that's pretty good. That's not just going along writing about last night's game. They're, they're analyzing the game in a different way. And, so Cleveland Indians, actually, um, not surprisingly, because they, they've done a great job the way they have hired maybe unorthodox, like non-traditional path. They've hired a number of people from Baseball America that, that have been there since I, I had been gone. And, you know, so again, like I said, whether it's the, you know, just having that ability to write, which is, hey, this is, this is, my writing is an indication of how I think about the game or how I view things. But then even at the core of that job is reporting, which as a scout, you go, I need to ask a lot of questions to get information and then decide what's important, whether that's in an article or in my scouting report. So those, those I, don't, I never thought of it that way at the time. Like why, you know, why me as a scout, you know, but you, you realize the, the connection at the foundation of what the two jobs are doing is, is way more similar than I, I ever imagined. Mm. You know, just speaking at the Indians really quickly, they have hired a lot of people up and down the organization that were from football, from the military. Some of those folks are my friends. To me, it's about a mental model or it's a way of, of solving problems. Sometimes the best problem solvers, like you can drop them in different industries and they could go in and because they know how to solve problems or to look at a problem in a unique way that they're really, really valuable. This is something I want to touch on a little bit later when we talk about data analytics, but it reminds me of that scene from Moneyball where Billy Bean is with those old guys, you know, the old scouts and they're talking about stuff and it's just like, nah, you know, the guy's got, you know, it's same with football, you know, he's got great feet, he's got twitch, he's got this. (laughs) You're like, what does that even mean? You know, like, you know, so we'll talk about that a little bit later, but (laughs) something I do want to, you know, interesting. I was looking at your, your background and um, like you didn't finish college. And I know you and I chatted a little bit about that. You know, some people may be like, oh my gosh, he's assistant general manager of Texas Rangers. He never got a degree. And other people would be like, wow, that's really cool. Like, you know, Bill Gates didn't finish college. Mark Zuckerberg didn't finish. Like, why, you know, talk about that a little bit. Like, kind of the stereotype, like your, your hurdles and kind of things there, mental barriers you had to go through with that. Yeah, yeah. The some of those people that were on the on the side of uh, you know saying like, "Wow, assistant GM without without a degree," uh, some of those people would would include me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, thinking about you know, the, and and it was you know as as we chatted about it, it was, it was something that was was a insecurity um, that I carried around for 
a long time, you know, just being almost inevitable, at least in certain circles that, that, you know, Hey, where'd you go? To, you know, where'd you go to school? And you're, you know, and, and I'm at that point, I'm like really aware that, well, not only did I not, but these, you know, this was like Ivy league, Ivy league, this really high uh, level institutions that, you know, and, and so as, as I created this, this narrative and, and really, like I said to you, like, the insecurity of it was, I think, more of my own doing than anybody really judging me. So I would either avoid the question and make a joke about it, self-deprecating something that really, you know, in, in ways, as I look back now, it's like I'm ashamed of something that, well, I'm, I'm also continuing to get opportunities. I feel like I'm having success. I think some of those some of those, the, the way I viewed it though, was also, there were some, I was limiting myself on different opportunities and experiences. And I don't mean opportunities to advance. I just mean opportunities for conversations to learn or to be exposed to, to different things that have, have really helped, helped me grow. So as we talked about, you know, I got, I got to a point, I went to Orange Coast College and I had a great experience there because I got to spend a ton of time writing about the baseball team and spend a lot of time around really, really good people there to learn a lot more about the game. And, and then I just told myself at the time, I told my parents at the time, like, I, I'm going to do, I want to do this on my own. I'm probably a little more, even like the immaturity of saying like, I don't need school. I just want to do it on my own. And I believed, and I was really fortunate to have a lot of support from friends and, and my parents to be able to kind of keep encouraging me. But you know, that path was, Certainly, I don't know if it was easier or more challenging, but it was, it wasn't easy. You know, it was, mm-hmm. all right, well, how am I going to do this? Why, why is somebody going to pay attention to me? So, I, you know, I got, I just wrote a lot on my own and whether it was in notebooks or on whatever kind of computer we had back in the day. And I just wrote a lot and read a lot, read a lot of Baseball America and Peter Gammons and anything like, anything like, why do I like what they write. Why do I like the style? What are they writing about? You know, how can I make it my own? And, you know, and, I, and eventually led to some freelance opportunities to get, now it's, now it's like, it's different from me sitting there and just writing, you know, about Nomar Garcia Parra on my notebook when he was at Georgia Tech and, and trying to, just trying to like hone my, hone my craft. I think now it's like, even at freelance, even if it was, I don't know how many people were even reading it, in the beginning, but it's still like, Hey, this has my name on it and I'm putting it out there. Right. So it's, it gets real at that point and it gives you these huge opportunities to learn. You get more feedback. Yeah. You put yourself out there. So I think that going down that path, certainly like, as I've really tried to view that, that, that whole experience through a different lens and uh, expand or change that narrative to, to say like, you know, what, it is, it's a unique path. And it's mine, right? It's it's those experiences help shape me. I definitely, I've had a lot of like, like I said, a lot of really support. I think I told you the story about you know John Daniels, JD, our, our general manager and, and good friend. I think one of the first times I kind of opened up to him about about the that insecurity. I, I, I expressed it to him. I said, you know, I think it was before a, some interview I was I was going to do, and I said, man, like I'm really worried about like that when they ask this question, I I'm terrible at answering it. I'm probably going to make some stupid joke that puts myself down. And, and I'm like, I don't, I, I want to avoid it. How, what, or what should I say? And he, he looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you're a system GM. Like, you know, you've, you list off things that, that I've contributed to or whatever. And, like the look on his face told me it, re- it made this huge impact on me. And, and I've, I've, I've seen the look in other ways from, from people I really, mm-hmm. really trust and, and people who fortunately be- believed in me and supported me. And it was like, wow, like people aren't thinking about that. I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there are people who are thinking about it and judging me, like, I don't think they're the people that matter that much to me. Right that the people who do matter and people who supported me through a lot of this have helped me even, even the way you reacted and responded last night when we talked about it, you know, sharing a little bit of your story or your, your father. I mean, those things, that's how people react now. When I, 
when I talk about it in a, in a different way as they, other people share. So, you know, Josh, you have an uncommon humility for somebody that's in your position. And part of that, I think comes, you know, as you talk about this comes from a little, you know, early on insecurity and also just kind of who you are as a person, you know, and I can see why you've risen up the ranks, you know, the, the brash, those type of people, they, they rub you uh, over time. It just kind of, but when you really believe that you've worked very, very hard and that people talk about luck, you hear about luck a lot, but it's really like you put in the work, you demonstrated your competency. When the opportunity opened up, you were able to step into that position and continue to move up the ladder. And really, I think it's becoming, I think your story is going to become more prevalent because we're starting to realize as a country and really the the education system is very flawed. Like you should be able to go. And if you want to learn, for instance, AI or, you know, some type of uh, data analytics, you could take a course online 18 to 24 months down the line. You've got that beginning skill set. You enter the workforce, you know, especially like specific skills or trades or then at these four year institutions, Man, I went through four years of undergrad and no joke, I great Texas A&M, amazing experience, set me up for a lot of things, but I got a degree in applied exercise physiology. I walked in as a graduate assistant, was given like four or five teams to train, and I literally did not have a clue what to do. And I literally just copied the old football program I had. And it was it was embarrassing. You know, I, I just love this idea that, that this humility has been kind of baked into you. And uh, when you evaluate people now, like, how do you look at resumes? I mean, because you talked about the Ivy League. Do you find yourself going, ooh, Harvard, Yale? Or do you go, man, I want to find that needle in the haystack? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Because there's a reason that those institutions and, and others and whatever bullet points are on a resume, there's a reason that they're impressive and that they get people's attention and, and that they help people create opportunities, but beyond the surface, who is the person is, is certainly is what it's all about. Right. So the, the, the opportunity to talk to somebody and, and I'm just, I'm actually thinking that like kind of out loud here is like, I, I don't, I don't know if this is right or wrong. I don't necessarily go to resume first for, for more than, all right, hey, like, I, I do want to know where, where people came from to have prepare for talking to somebody, meeting somebody. But I don't think that that, and I think that it's, I think it's a lot about my background that I, my, I know my first questions and things are not really about my, my comfort zone is not talking about, you know, the, the college university that somebody went to. So, so again, it, it gets, it gets my attention, but I also would say the, the connection, the person you're going to work with is our, our interviews and, and ones I'm involved in. There, there's, there's times where I would say we forget like where they went to, to school 20 years ago or whatever. There's times like we're hiring, you know, a manager, a hitting coach or whatever. And we're, we're, we're spending hours before you even think about talking about some hitting techniques and your philosophy. It's like, who is the person? Who do we want to work with? And, and do you want to work with us? You know, and so I think a lot about my experiences and the things that shape me do contribute to how I evaluate people that I want, uh, that I hope to be able to bring in to work with us or players. You know, it's the, it's one of those things where I think the, I think interviewing for uh, an internship or interviewing for a manager, you know, a major league team or evaluating a player the interview itself is so similar in a way that like you're you're what is this person's story right because what what their story is i believe tells you a lot about like where they came from and and who they are why they how they think or how they how they make decisions is gonna Mm. even even as they mature if we're talking about an 18 year old you know high school kid even as he matures i think there's a lot of things in there they're going to tell us who he's going to become and so I think that that word, you know, story, like what, what is our story? What's your story is something that, you know, maybe it's my writing background, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's whatever, but I, I think that gets so much more to the, 
core of who we are and who we're going to work with and those decisions, then, you know, the, the other things that just don't define you. Right. Like, mm. I think the, if, if I was to ask somebody, you know, if we, if we were, I know I told you we had a bunch of interviews the last yesterday. And if I was to ask somebody, if one of them went to Harvard, I'd want to know experiences about what made that special for them and hear how they talked about it more than just on the surface thinking that they got a check mark over this person who was a junior college guy or something. It's behavioral interviewing, you know, like pulling things out from those conversations and those stories to really understand who this person is. And that's in an age of like social media and being able to craft a narrative and to create a brand for yourself. How do you, how do you get past that? Let's say when you're evaluating a prospect. Yeah, that, that's a, I think it's, it's present, right? It's a, it's a factor. I, I think in baseball, talk to a lot of my counterparts in, in NBA, NFL, NHL, NBA and the, and the NFL, I think, you know, when it's at the combine and I think they're more trained and prepared for those, those interviews than in baseball, where I think we have more access to, to players and firsthand, you know, going into a high school kid's home, meeting with him and his parents. And then if you want to do it again, you can do it again. It's not, there's not as many restrictions. So that I think that it's easier to build a relationship. And then I would say, it's not, you know, a combine, Hey, you got a half hour and 15 minutes of it's going to be sorting through the canned answers or the coached up, whether it's an agent or, or even more, right. They're, they're, they're actually getting like professional help on how to answer certain questions. I think in, in some of these other sports, I don't see it quite as much in baseball, but you know, people are still going to try and tell you what, what you, they think you want to hear or whatever. So you know, behavioral interviewing or it's, or it's just trying like to, can we develop our, our as a staff here, as a scouting staff, can we develop our ability to ask better follow-up questions that, okay, you prepared for the first, you prepared for the first question. And I heard your, you know, kind of canned generic answer, but if I'm doing my job and our scouts are ready, then the follow-up and then the next follow-up are going to be ones that hopefully will lead you to the more what the player is actually going to tell you, and, you know, and just trying to validate throughout those interactions, right? Like hey, if I've already talked to five coaches and whoever else teammates and everybody else, and their answers are not consistent with, with yours while we're talking now, like that, that's a little bit of a yellow flag at least. And, mm-hmm. and then can, maybe I can push and, and, and everything a little bit more. But I, I think that that we've we've actually been talking about that a ton lately, and, and done some work with some really good groups of people outside the organization to develop those develop those skills of interviewing and mm. you know how prepared you know like before and during like what what is your but your preparation before is going to be the the key to get you to ask those good follow ups and not leave those things on the table right like oh. He, he gave you the generic answer and you had an opportunity to go a layer deeper. And if we miss it, that's, that's on us. So the brand and the, some of that stuff is just, is not quite as much of a factor. I, I think it's, I think it is trying to sort through though, that, that layer of just getting beyond the surface, right? Like mm-hmm. trying to find out what's important to this, this kid, this player, where's he coming from? What's his background? Who's family and who's he hanging around with? And are these habits consistent? Hmm. Speaking of like interviewing athletes, like let's talk a little bit about talent evaluation. I mean, that's one of your biggest roles. I mean, you oversee professional scouting. What are some things like from a soft skills perspective? I mean, the, the technical, the technical components of the game, I would think would probably be the easiest thing to break down. And like in any sport, like can the person throw Can they do, you know, do they have situational awareness? Do they make good decisions? Are there things that we think we can fix? Are there things we don't think we can fix? But then it comes down to like, are they going to be a great teammate? Do they work hard? Uh, Are they coachable? Are they teachable? How important is that? Like if you were to weigh it out? Oh, man. I mean, player evaluation, as you said, it's like, it's everything 
one way or another, everybody in our organization is, is that's what we're, what we're doing, right? We got to make decisions all the time. We need to get impact players and, and build a, a championship club. Yeah. So, so I think the, you know, as we talk, as we talk about the, the evaluation of the talent, the skills, the tools on the surface, like, like you said, you know, easy. And I, and I know what you mean, like in terms of, right. Like if, if it's an elite level talent and athlete that can play eventually for the Texas Rangers, like he's probably going to stand out on the high school field. Um, now, you know, trying to, trying to like really slotted into like where is that where's that fall you know how do we really quantify it on a on a major league scale okay now you know we got to get a little more fine and so where i think what the the soft skills that i would say it's weighted significantly you know how much in 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 like a pie chart I, i don't know but it's big because let's say it is easy and we can all agree on the the talent part right if we if we're all which is not common, but let's say we all agree <laughs> on, on like, hey, this this hitter has this ability and this kind of approach and this power and da da da, right? I mean, this how athletic and his measurables are all similar for us. At that point, then the question though is like, well, what's he? Those are things he can do. What we need to do is talk about what's he going to do, right? Like, and even if it's a major league veteran player, like these metrics and different measurables and indicators tell us what he's done. We need to know like, well, what's he going to do next year or in a high school player's case, like he's, he's probably going to be in best case scenario he's in the big leagues at 22, 23 years old. So what's he going to do in five years? And that's where, you know, the, the talent tools, athleticism without the, the, what we call, you know, makeup, the mental makeup, the, those traits, is I, I don't know I don't know how I don't know how you could do it with without knowing those things I think it it, it just it, those are the things that gives you an indicator what's he what's he going to do right and and if you don't know like how how driven dedicated committed and then resilient he is to be able to handle challenges if we have no idea how he's going to respond when he gets to a ball and on the road in Hickory North Carolina struggling for a month you know it's let's say it's beginning of the season it's april and and hasn't had a whole lot of failure and struggles in his life and now he's hitting 180 and you know you hit 180 for a month it's going to take a while to you know two hits here and then an offer and then you're 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 creeping to get those numbers back up and you know you got social media you got baseball america rankings you got you know the competition to your left your right or on the other side of the field and how are they going to respond in those times is the thing that, you know, even if we have the, the greatest player development and coaching system in the world, if the player himself is not the type of guy that we think we need as a, a characteristic of a Texas Ranger championship player, uh, then I think we're, we're missing just a huge, it's, it's a little bit of guesswork, right? You're going to bet, yeah. you're going to bet on like the, the talent, can just take them through all that, which I think, that's, I think it seems like that's what it's not true. You are doing when you about you're betting. I mean, yeah. And essentially you're playing poker, but somebody that we both talked about in the past, Brian Decker, who's on the podcast, you know, he talks about like, if you look at where their talent and skill is now, and then you project into the future, like what they could be. If you draw a straight line between those two points, that's their developmental profile. And the bigger the gap the more important that is. So there's only a certain number of prospects that can probably come out at 18 or 19. And you're like, man, they're going to be in the big leagues pretty soon. You know, the Bryce Harper's of the world or whatever. They're not, they're not many of those people. And then the question is, is like when you, when they do get there and then can they maintain that? What happens when you pay somebody? And then all of a sudden all the pressure in the world's on for them to live up to this thing in their head it becomes difficult. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever listened to read any of Andy Duke's books, like thinking in bets or making decisions, but like, that's essentially what you're doing. Yep. You're putting money <laughs> on, on a speculative bet and you're hoping to win more times than not. I mean, that's just for the outside. That's how I see it. You have this yep. system of where you can kind of hedge your bets and put this money here and that money there. And 
Only so many of them are going to turn out. It's yeah. an interesting play when you think about it. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I thought of Annie Duke when you, when you said that a gambling and some of us, you know, thinking in bets and probabilities. And then and, and to me, it, it, is, it is amazing how much, whether it's, whether it is the world of poker or investing and all these things that, that aren't dealing with, you know, that on, on the surface are not dealing with human beings, but they are right. Even mm-hmm. in, in the investing world, are you betting on the people who run the company? And, the, and then, so like the CEO, like, what are they about? What are their values of, of the company? And that's what you're betting on for the long-term sustainability and, you know, the, the psychology of it that, you know, Annie Duke and uh, was Maria Konnikova, that those, yeah. those, I mean, that it's just fascinating how much, like the, the the thoughts of bets or probability and those things, it's the same as that line. So the the what you referred to with Decker, that line, and can we increase our confidence in the probability that player A is getting from here to to here? And what are we betting on? Right, yeah, talent and tools and all those things are going to be a huge part of it. But I, I would argue that not at all. I think that the the players drive commitment and those, those to end his character, you know, all those things like are going to be the indicator more so than, than the talent. And, and then the, the second part of it, I think is like our, as an organization, our responsibility is to, to be even more of a facilitator in that, right. You know, obviously player development, but, but having those same qualities and characteristics, like we, we better be driven and resilient and, committed and, and really focused on, on providing that environment for, for those players to, to, to kind of achieve and, and get from there, there to there. This segues really well to a question I have. What, what do you, what does high performance mean to you? Yeah, it's, I think it is like really, as we've talked through this here today, I, I think of the, what I just mentioned with player, uh, the tools, talent, ability, is makeup and then and then the environment, the, the organizational. I think about high performance in a way that whether it's whether it is individually or as a team or as a family, what are the things that we're aligned? The aligned vision of common goals that that we're, when we're like performing at a high elite, you know, major league championship level, I think it's like the, those moments and everything of, of everyone truly working together because, because of the time that has been invested on the front end of these are the things we value. These are, this is like the language we use. This is like, this is how we've, you know, learned from our past mistakes, all those things that, that come together in alignment to, to really, it all, it all connects for me in that way that we're going to perform at our best. We're going to put people uh, again, whether it's whether it's my family or it's me individually, I'm going to put myself in the best position to to do my job by having like a lot of clarity on what it is we're trying to accomplish. Because I know that our scouts in the field and our and you know my coworkers and colleagues in the front office, we we have a shared vision, and we're going to go compete together. And I, I think that that clarity of of the vision at the beginning of it allows all those things to to really kind of uh, come together and allow us all to, to, to be the best we, we can. Mm, I love it. Let's go back a little bit on data analytics. There's been, you know, baseball, there was a revolution that really started, you know, if we, you know, look at Billy Bean and Moneyball and how much does that factor into scouting? Like, what do you think about the whole thing? I mean, you got tradition of, you know, what we've seen and what we've thought we've known, and then it's colliding with, with data and algorithms and AI and all this kind of stuff now, like, where do you, where, you know, where do you sit on that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge part of, uh, you know, our evaluation process, you know, and, and it's funny, the, the money ball and the Billy Bean and, and all that. When I was at, when I was at Baseball America, it was, it was when the book came out and, you know, you may, may not know, like it was huge us versus them scouting versus, Saber metrics at the time, like that, it was, it was, it created a ton of division in the industry that, that we've, you know, mostly we've gotten past. Like, I think it's really difficult to be on really on one extreme or the other, but certainly on the old school traditional, like just dig in there. It's, 
and, and there's to me there's just so so as, as I was at Baseball America, you know, I was Baseball America is like pretty traditional, especially at the time. So it's like I'm I'm taking I'm digging in, taking the scouting side, and and it really it really wasn't about like which one is is better, but it was more about like the the narrative of what the book created and the, the scene you referenced, right? It was like, hey, let's paint one side like it's just subjective, a bunch of old dudes who are sitting around saying things that you know. Oh, like, uh, he reminds me of so and so. Good face, yeah. gene, the whole gene, you know, and all that. And like, yeah, like if those things don't matter as much, right? But then you go, okay, what if this is a blend? And, and obviously, we're more to a point where we're figuring out how to like the objective analysis and then subjective, like experienced intuition, like has a ton of value, right? But they operate really well together in a, in a decision making process as all of us get an opportunity to, to make a decision. We're synthesizing information and you know in some ways that information is that's just data and then we're we're all analyzing there's uh, some of the tech and and data that that is is really kind of disrupted and innovated like ha- has had this like huge innovative impact on the game that it's awesome right like it's we have quicker feedback loops and player development than than you ever had you want to try something with a player it's not just not just go out to a bullpen and try to make a couple of tweaks here. You can get this instant feedback that you're exactly where your slot was, you know, pitch after pitch, your anything about your your delivery and your mechanics, and then the flight path of the ball, right? It, it's like everything. And, you know, if we, we got to be careful, that we're not just creating players in a lab, you know, you got to play the game. And, and I think that's a real factor too, right? Is that, can you just go and throw, a bullpen or take BP and get great results off of, off of some of these, these different um, technologies. And then are you, like, I think in some cases people maybe sacrifice the fact that like, Hey, you also have to make decisions on the field, running the bases, playing defense, like thinking through and at bat. So, you know, that's where like opportunity comes for player development, but, to really make sure that we emphasize those things because that, that's what's going to like win and lose ball games. Those, those, you know, fine lines of decisions throughout a game. And I don't think you can, you can't take the human out of the loop. That's uh, referencing another person, Lorian Pratt, who she wrote the book link. She's an expert in what's called decision intelligence. You know, you have like AI is, is great. Training machine learning models is awesome but you have to understand like what actions lead to which outcomes. And sometimes only the human knows. And so like, it's learning like where to fit that AI to amplify the human expertise. And it's hard to quantify intuition, but it's there for a reason because you have experience and hopefully that's experience leads to wisdom. You know, the older I get, the more I want to listen to people that have had the experience of, you know, why did you, in your case, pick that person when you didn't have these other things? Right. You know, and, you know, there's dumb luck sometimes. It, it, you know what I'm saying? You yeah. just got lucky, you know, like we, yeah. we, you know, we took, yeah, he was a late round guy. We just took a flyer. It was between him and him. And we're like, ah, oh, we're going to go with that guy. And guess what? It worked out. That's going to be part of the equation. Right. You know, and hopefully you can reduce your misses and, and make those better decisions a little bit more frequently. I'm excited to see where this stuff leads personally, but I just hope that we don't take the human out of the loop. I agree. I, th- I think if, if uh, like personally, I think if, if our competition is taking the human out of the loop, I think it gives us an advantage. I, I think the the best coaches right now, I think uh, don't, lose sight of that right and they're they're probably the best coaches before they're just very they were always open-minded they just didn't have you know Rapsodo and Trackman and Statcast to give like the quicker feedback but they're good because they didn't have just one way of presenting like hey, here's my philosophy if you fit with it and if you know, like there's 25 players on a roster I'm gonna the same language and one style like you, know, you have like a versatility of, of ways to connect with you know, the kid that is from the Dominican. This kid over here is from, you know, Georgia and high school. And, and then you got the, the college kid from Stanford. So like, I think the, the, the guys that can like you know, translate 
Like, how are we going to take this? You know, some, some of them want to see the, some players want to see like the entire printout of all the data and they can, they can handle it. Right. And they can process it and, and then implement it into a game. Now, if we just have that same approach with every player, it's going to be a disaster. So like I said, the coaches who are really good at interpreting that, you know, the, this player here doesn't need the whole thing. I don't even need to tell them where it came from, but we can, but we can use the data to support the case that like, this is the path to how, how we're going to get better. And that's where like one of our pitchy coaches recently was talking about how this thing, like how, how do we get through to like maybe the, you know, the, the veteran player who's like, doesn't buy analytics. And it's kind of like, but let's start with like, what, what do you think analytics is first of all? Cause mm-hmm. sometimes you think it's a lot bigger and more than it needs to be. Other times you can go, Hey, all it's doing, this is just telling you specifically what you've done. I'm not creating a new metric. I'm not creating a formula or a model. I'm just telling you really objectively, this is giving you a clearer picture of who you are, what you've done. And then if you work from there and you go, oh, that's, that's not as threatening, right? That's just, how's that really any different from this is your ERA, right? Here's your ERA and your strikeouts. Okay. I'm comfortable with that. Okay. Here, this one just tells you more specifically about what you know, your pitch characteristics. And so, like I said, the guys, the, the coaches who have that ability to really connect and speak some different languages and, and, you know, it's, it's connection with a player to, to, to meet them where they're at is, is really, really critical in that, in that whole process. So your job is really demanding. I mean, baseball to me seems like it goes on all year long. <laughs> like I talk to guys in in the league and they're just like, oh man, like, how did you get a vacation? Yeah, seven days. And, you know, in, in the NFL, I've got six weeks off in the summer. Like literally I would forget the password to my computer because, you know, once you started training camp, it was a grind. I mean, just, I'm sure it just like major, but it was just like, you know, you got one opportunity a week and there's this huge buildup, you know, to the game. And then it was just like, everybody's back in on Sunday and it's just never ended. But then, I think I get like two months off a year when you added it up. The volatility was really high, but anyways, the stress is there. How do you manage stress? Man, six weeks off in the summer sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like a good starting point. You're right, though. Like I, I think since I've been in, I've been in the front office 14 years now, and the off season never ends. So the regular season kind of the off season starts right away. So especially if you're, you know, if you're not a playoff team, you're getting to work on the, on 2021, let's go, you know? And, and then if you are a playoff team, you go as far as you go and then, and then you're a month behind everybody else. So that's what, that's what we want. But you know, the, then the off season has become longer and longer in the sense that, you know, like we're December 31st here and you're, there's, I don't know, 5% of free agents have signed and, trade activity has been really high in the last week or so. And, you know, and, and depending on what happens with the, the spring training, spring training schedule, we could be a week, a month and a half away from reporting. And we have, you know, a huge population and pool of, of players that haven't signed. So all that said, just say it, 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 it's, uh, we're middle of the off season. You got to be prepared for opportunities that, could be out there, trade, free agency, you know, preparing for next year's draft and everything. Your question on how do we manage, I think in some ways, you know, it ties to what I said with, or does tie in really well to like the high performance piece of, of us being in alignment and, and that, and that you know, clarity on, on what we're trying to accomplish together. Because, and, and for me, what, what I've thought a lot about, especially in this you know, pandemic year and work from home and uh, not you know not a full season I think about like having time to think and reflect and and just slow the pace down a little bit right like and I've thought a lot about like the value of time to think gives you a much better quality of of, of decision making and and thought that I can present my recommendations and ideas in a way that I I, I feel a lot more confident about I feel a lot higher quality than when it's just go, 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 right? You're one thing or another. There's so many things we got to do. So I'm not always, you know, as good and disciplined with it as I want to, but 
uh, as I want to be. But I, for, for me, you know, how, how do I create that space to think, you know, is anything from meditating, getting outside on walks or riding a bike to be able to feel like a little bit of a feeling of, of disconnected from mm. the barrage of, of messages and everything else. And I, I feel I'm able to tap more into create more creative thought that can lead to connections that, that I, I think in the, in the pace of the normal day and world is I don't see the connections as easy. So mm-hmm. that to me, like, and, and you know, I'm a writer, so I, I like to write and that helps me reflect a lot. And ultimately with that time to think, I'm able to see things, connections that maybe I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And, and hopefully, was, you know, competitively, hopefully there are things I see before somebody else does. But for me, those are, I, I always want to be more disciplined with, with all that, you know, thinking, meditating, having, having that time, exercising, getting some fresh air, and then connecting with people to have like real deep, meaningful conversations as opposed to, again, that just rushed pace of everything. Josh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Like your story is fantastic and your mental affect is, is contagious. I, I could see why the Rangers have had you around for a long time and hopefully a, a whole lot longer. You know, I didn't tell you this. I grew up a Texas Rangers fan. I think maybe I did. I don't know, like way back in the yeah. day. And, you know, as you get older, you know, it's just really cool now that we've met. I have another reason to cheer on the Rangers and uh, I'm excited to see you guys grow as an organization and continue to move forward. And I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that world championship year. Uh, and I know yeah. you'll be a part of it. So uh, thank you for joining us today. And uh, I really appreciate you. I uh, appreciate it, Eric. I, I really enjoy your podcast. I, I love like your really thoughtful questions you asked here today. Appreciate your, uh, your support um, of the Rangers and, and we are, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're, we're building something special. We have a really talented great group of guys that, that would push each other and i'm i'm feel really really fortunate and grateful to, to be able to work with them and then uh and then get you uh get you in to, to watch us in the world series love so, it <laughs> yeah we got it that's where we're going so yeah i appreciate it very much eric all right take care all right thank you thanks for joining me today on another episode of the blueprint podcast if you found this episode valuable Sign up for my high-performance newsletter at www.ericcorum.com. And if you want to stay current on everything high-performance, follow me on Instagram at Eric Corum, Twitter at Eric Corum, Facebook, and I'm also on LinkedIn.